This time on Geek Pod Blue. Warning, station is now code blue. edition of Geek Pod Blue, and by sure I mean not tall, as in elves. We are going to discuss elves because they are part of the holiday season. Everybody knows that Santa has elves at the North Pole that are making toys and toiling away like immigrant workers that aren't paid enough, and uh, we're going to discuss the origins of those. Um, I had to pull uh, from several different places around the internet to pull uh, together a, a complete as or as complete as I can put together in about 20 minutes history of elves for you fine folk who listen to the show. Now, elves have been uh, very popular uh, for centuries in fiction, um, right from uh, William Shakespeare, you know, all the way up to uh, Tolkien 300 years later. And the most popular or at least known versions of these elves uh, were the ones that worked for Santa at the North, North Pole. Now, like, like just like fairies, elves were said to be uh, small shapeshifters. Uh, English male elves were described as looking a little like old men, uh, but elf maidens were inevitably young and beautiful. Um, you know, because you know back then old men really liked to get with young, beautiful women. So of course they're going to create these myths just like that. Um, the men uh, lived in kingdoms, found in forests, meadows, or hollowed-out tree trunks, uh, and they're part of a family of similar uh, mythic characters. Elves, fairies, and leprechauns are all very closely related in folklore. Although elves uh, specifically seem to have sprung from early Norse mythology. Uh, and then by the 1500s, people started incorporating elf folklore into other stories and legends about fairies. And by 1800, fairies and elves were widely considered to be different names for the same creatures or the same magical creatures. Um, just like fairies, elves eventually developed a reputation for pranks and mischief and doing weird stuff. Uh, you know, when someone had um, their hair or their their hair or their horse's hair between, became tangled and knotted, uh, they were called elf locks and it was blamed on elves that they did that. A baby born with a birthmark or a deformity was called elf marked. If you can believe that, uh, they actually said that the foreign babies were marked by elves. Um, quite, quite interesting. Uh, folklorist Carol Rose wrote in 1998 that although elves were sometimes friendly towards human humans, they were also known to take terrible revenge on any human who offends them. Uh, they might steal babies, cattle, milk, and bread, or enchant and hold young men in their spell for years at a time. A well-known example of this is Rip Van Winkle, who was... Uh, befuddled and be cursed by elves. Now, ancient Norse mythology refers to elves as the Al Alfar or the Huldefolk or hidden folk. Uh, however, it's it's risky to translate Alfar directly to, to the English word, word elf. There's a lot more going on there. Elves are thought of as little people, uh, perhaps wearing stockings, caps, and converting with fairies, but the original concept of Alfar was far less whimsical. Um, some ancient poems uh, would put them uh, on par with Norse gods, and maybe that's another word for veneer, a group of gods associated with fertility uh, or perhaps their own race. 
Um, it's likely that the people who invented elves had no single unified theory on elvish identity, uh, just a concept or idea of where they came from. Uh, they look like us, they live like us, at least in the older materials, and probably nowadays, if they're living anywhere, they're living in between floors and flats. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Gunnell told Live Science, referring to the notion of an invisible parallel world inhabited by Alfar, the friendly neighbors who live between the 7th and 8th floors, as he puts it. Now, Iceland was settled in the 800s by Scandinavians and, and Celts, and they brought from Ireland, they, or, and Celts that they brought from Ireland as slaves. Uh, both Scandinavian and Celtic cultures had myths of fairies and elves and nature spirits, which started to, you know, coalesce and bubble into the concept of an Alfar as representatives or wardens of the landscape. Iceland's eerie volcanic setting probably played into these myths because it's an you know, absolutely beautiful place. Uh, in winter, you have the northern lights. It's very easy to see uh, nature as a thing. You know, the land is alive, and, and the hidden people are personification of that living landscape that you can't actually defeat. The Scandinavians and Celts weren't the only Europeans who used unseen uh, supernatural species as symbols of the wilderness surrounding them. Uh, further south, the Germans believed in dwarves and kobolds, and uh, in Scotland they had these little house spirits called brownies, which are also very similar. Now, elves became part of this mythological mix throughout the first millennium. Uh, according to uh, someone by the name of Alara Call, a lecturer at the University of Leeds who penned an entry on elves for the upcoming Ashgate Encyclopedia of Literary and Cinematic Monsters, the word elf derives from the ancestor language of German, English, and today's Scandinavian languages. Uh, he wrote that the first written references from them come from church texts starting around AD 500. Uh, medieval Europeans saw elves as dark and dangerous and linked them to demons. In Old English, uh, in the Old English Beowulf, which dates to somewhere between AD 700 and 1000, elves get a mention as an evil race that descended from Cain, the biblical son of Adam and Eve, who murdered his brother. And it says, Of Cain awoke all that woeful breed, Ettons and elves and evil spirits, as well as the giants that warred with God. Now, these religious references reveal the clash and melding of folk beliefs and a, the new religion as Christianity crept into Europe. Uh, in different tales at different times, you know, the elves, sometimes they would be good, sometimes they would be bad. They could deliver babies safely through a difficult labor or steal away a human baby and replace it with a sickly deformed changeling. Uh, elves, known in the Alps in German, could cause nightmares. Uh, perhaps similar to other mythology surrounding the scary experience of sleep paralysis, you know? I mean, that's uh, certainly something I've experienced before, and it's absolutely terrifying. And I can imagine uh, back then, if somebody had about a speech paralysis, they would uh, it would be easy to attribute it to something like elves if that was part of your culture. Um, by William Shakespeare's day, elves had lost many of their malevolent undertones and kind of became a, a jokester or a trickster, um, kind of like Puck in A Midsummer Night's Dream. Now, if we're going to take elves from their very kind of dark and powerful beginnings and bring them up to speed uh, to the modern day, we're going to have to talk about what happened to elves in that time. Now, as much as things like... Uh, the modern Thanksgiving menu dates back to the 1800s. Uh, so do the U.S. Christmas traditions. Uh, the elves became linked to Santa Claus in the 1823 poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, which is better known today as the night before Christmas, and it refers to Santa as a jolly old elf. With the elf Christmas link established, the elf 
Christmas cartel beginning, other writers began to get creative with the idea. Now, in 1857, uh, a magazine called Harper's Weekly published a poem uh, which uh, called the uh, brought the images of elves in Santa's workshop uh, to a T and brought it to the forefront of everybody's mind. It was called The Wonders of Santa Claus, and it included these lines. In his house upon the top of a hill, and almost out of sight, he keeps a great many elves at work, all working with all their might. To make a million pretty things, cakes, sugar plums, and toys, to fill the stockings hung up, you know, by little girls and boys. Uh, which Now you can see that this begins the whole uh, idea of Santa and elves being part of Christmas together. Uh, another influential magazine in 1873 uh, had a, an illustration of the workshop of Santa Claus, and it showed Santa surrounded by toys and elves, and it had a caption that read, Here we have an idea of the preparations that are made to supply the young folk with toys at Christmas time. Uh, an editorial in that same issue addressed the realities of toy making. They were not being made by magical elves, but by poor foreigners. Whole villages engage in the work, and the contractors every week in a year go round and gather together six days of work and pay for it. The idea caught on, and in 1922, Norman Rockwell, which everybody knows, except for you young kids, released a painting of an exhausted Santa surrounded by tiny industrious elves, trying to get a dollhouse finished in time for Christmas. Also, a 1932 short by Disney called Santa's Workshop showed the bearded uh, bearded elves singing and prepping Santa's sleigh, brushing the reindeer teeth, and helping Santa with his naughty nice list. Um, One of the elves says, Molly seems to be okay. She eats her spinach every day. Uh, And then said another one was not going to get presents and was on the naughty list because they didn't wash behind their ears. So this is where we get the modern day elves from. This is a a complete creation uh, by uh, marketing, as as we've we've talked about already, uh, to make Christmas more than it was. And again, that doesn't bother me. I think that the current iteration of the Christmas myth is an awful lot of fun. And it's given us a lot of great stuff. I mean, we've had the misfit elf from the uh, classic Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, as well as, you know, Will Ferrell in Elf, which, interesting fact, I have never seen that movie, um, but I have had enough people quote it to me that I feel like I would recognize I already know all the high points. Uh, It's just kind of ridiculous. Uh, Now, elves have, you know, uh, become part of our modern-day tradition now. You have the elf on a shelf, which is a little creature that you're supposed to put on the shelf, and, you know, every day you're supposed to move it, and it's supposed to kind of get the kids, you know, it brings the Christmas magic to their daily lives. It's not just waiting until December 25th uh, for Santa to come. Now they've got something to look forward to every single day, as long as you remember to re- to move the fucking elf. Because if you don't, then you're in trouble. You better have uh, a backup plan. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to be uh, backpedaling very quickly. Now, modern Christmas tradition holds that there are tons of elves that work throughout the year at Santa's workshop, prepping all of these toys, getting his sleigh, getting everything ready uh, for uh, Christmas Eve. You know, the idea of Santa overseeing a workforce of toy making uh, is kind of a, a vision of American capitalism. And a lot of people believe that the elves do represent migrant workers. I, I certainly can't say that I, uh, I, I disagree with that, but we're not going to get political in this episode about Santa Claus. Now, maybe the most interesting modern situation with elves 
has to do with the elves of Iceland. Now, it's only recently, you know, now the elves have been confined to things like books and fairy tales, but in the past, people believed they were actual, literal beings. And in Iceland, about half the residents believe in elf-like beings known as the Holdefolk, hidden people like we talked about before, or at least don't rule out their, their existence. Now, according to author D.L. Ashleyman in the book Folk and Fairy Tales, a handbook, um, there was a lady named Eve who was embarrassed that her children were dirty when God came to visit, so she hid them away and lied about their existence. God knew of her deceitfulness and proclaimed, What man hides from God, God will hide from man. These children became the hidden folk of Iceland, who make their homes in the rocks. Now, the supernatural beliefs are so strong in Iceland that uh, even road construction projects have been delayed or rerouted to avoid disturbing what they believe are the elves' homes. Um, when projects aren't stopped by the residents at first, it seems like bad things happen and they're thwarted by the elves themselves. For example, in the late 1930s, construction began on a road, uh, and it's um, near something called Elf Hill. It's the most famous elf residence uh, in uh, something called the city of Kopfagar. The construction was set to bring the road right through this place, which would have essentially destroyed what they believe are the elves' homes. At first, the construction was delayed due to money problems, but when work finally began, you know, 10 years later, the workers encountered all sort of problems from broken machinery to lost tools, and they eventually rerouted the, the road around the hill instead of through it. Um, this happened again, something similar, in uh, 1980. The same road was set to be raised and paved, but when the, the workers reached there and were about to demolish it, their drills broke to pieces, and then the replacement drill broke as well. And at this point, you know, the workers were spooked and refused to go near that hill. Now, Alfall is now protected as a cultural heritage because they truly believe that there are elves living there. Now, Icelandic laws were written in 2012 stating that all places uh, which have a reputation for magic or are connected to folk tales, customs, or national beliefs should be protected for their cultural heritage. Uh, certainly, it, 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 it sounds like a good idea since it's such a, a part of their culture. Likewise, Icelanders believe that, that about elves are, are closer to concepts seen in uh, ancient tales. They think that they're more like the history than they are the modern iteration. As of 2007, about 37% of Icelanders said it was possible that the Alfair still roamed the countryside, while another 17% said it was probable and 8% said they were certain that elves were still afoot. Now, a lot of other people in other countries are like, you know, we think here in America, elves and elves aren't real. Nobody thinks that. Uh, but yeah, in Iceland, they really, truly believe that. Now, elves have made it into our popular culture in other ways. Uh, definitely highly featured in uh, Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. They're featured in Dungeon and Dungeons and Dragons. I'm even playing a high elf character in Elder Scrolls Online. So it's certainly something that has gone from an ancient concept to something that has crossed a lot of boundaries and you know I, I think that every generation kind of has their use for elves and their stories just like leprechauns and other things you know they change you know we have in the in the 70s and 80s elves became the ambassadors of keebler keebler's cookies and, and crackers and things like that and uh, you know now in more modern times even though the 70s isn't not I wouldn't consider that not modern, but now there are more characters in movies and video games. And, you know, 50, 60 years from now, I think we'll see, you know, the idea of elves incorporated into other things and other concepts. That's just how things work. That's how ideas transfer and how they grow uh, from uh, person to person, from generation to generation. They all take on uh, the aspects of something else in the current climate.
And uh, that's going to, oh, and again, like clockwork, there is Paul with our text message of the day. Let's see what he has to say. Text from Paul, text from Paul, everybody loves to get a text from Paul. Text from Paul, text from Paul, everybody loves to get a text from Paul. Show it! And Paul says, on the fourth day of Christmas, my Hugh friend gave to me four tubes of Icy Hot for my football injuries. Well, we all have to get necessities. I asked for underwear and socks this year myself. And that's going to wrap things up for today. I look forward to talking to you guys tomorrow when I might just have some ideas for some really good eats. Till then, tuck and roll, kids. GeekPod Blue is a GeekPod Network production. Executive producers Paul Showens and Hugh Allen. Concept created by Paul Showens and Hugh Allen. Intro is Opportunity by Jameis Breed. Closing is Bucket by Jameis Breed. Both licensed for use by Dennis Johnston. Want to help the show? Leave a five-star rating on iTunes. GeekPod can be reached at contribute at geekpod.com or send us a tweet at geekpod. That's G33KPOD. You can also find GeekPod on Facebook and Instagram. G33KPOD. That's G33KPOD.